Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, for those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We're on every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And make sure you do yourself a kindness and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You have missed out on many 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 great conversations with truly interesting and informative people so wherever you get your podcast if that's itunes tune in google play or soundcloud you'll find us at radio islam usa all right radio islam family last thing to tell you for those of you who don't want to tweet or post or anything like that you can give us a call if you got a question or a comment that you would like to have brought into the conversation you can do so by calling us at 312-750-1178 that is 312-750-1178. All right, Radio Islam family, tonight our guest is Ed Yanka. Um, he is the Director of Communications and Public Policy for the ACLU of Illinois. Now, for you, uh, I'm sure most of you know, but for almost 100 years, the ACLU has worked to defend and preserve the individual rights and liberties guaranteed by the Constitution and uh, under the laws of the United States. So Ed began his job with ACLU in June of 99. He serves as a primary spokesperson for the Civil Rights Advocacy Organization. He regularly uh, has appeared on television, radio uh, in Illinois and throughout the nation. Uh, he's also widely cited in newspapers and publications on legal and legislative matters related to the ACLU of Illinois priorities. So we are appreciative to have you here. How are you doing, Ed? I am well, Tariq. It's great to be here. Yes, yes. And there's, there's so much going on right now that... Um, that having you here is it's really great to, just to, to unpack some of the things that, that we're looking at right now. Well, it's just it's I think it's great to talk about many of these issues with your audience, because I think um, you're right. There's so much to unpack and just having the opportunity, the time and the space to do it is really appreciated. Yeah. So um, as many folks know, if you have if you have not been sitting in a closet or under a rock, um, uh, we've seen many images, very disturbing, many of them emotionally um, emotionally stressful for many people to see uh, children pulled from the arms of their mothers or children that have been taken away and then finally being reunited. Uh, and then also to know that there are still a great number of children who have yet to be re reunited with their parents. Right. So if we could um, maybe first begin with how did this particular brand of uh, immigration enforcement come about? Well, that's a that's a really good question. And, you know, one of the things that we're learning uh, as we've gone through this process over the last several uh, months is that, um, you know, is that is the see that that this is a process that the administration has really been rolling out slowly and surely and steadily uh, that then hit the accelerator uh, in the late spring of this year. Right. Yeah. Um, for for the ACLU, uh we really first became aware of this 
uh, early this year in February uh, when we were when we l- were contacted about the story of Ms. L. I, I think probably many of your listeners have heard, you know, Ms. L is a, 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 a refugee uh, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, she came to the United States, presented herself for uh, asylum. She was um, she was she passed a credible fear test. So she's broken no law. Right. Um, she's put into a facility near San Diego. She came into the port of San Diego. She's uh, held in a hotel in near the port of San Diego for a few days. Uh, and then she and her daughter, or she was her 10 year old daughter is with her. Um, one day are suddenly separated and her daughter was flown to Chicago. Um, uh, we became aware of that, and our lawyers visited with, with her in a uh, detention facility in Otay, California, near San Diego. Uh, they, they filed suit on her behalf to be reunited with her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, over the course of a few weeks, uh, as we talked about that case, you know, we heard all kinds of things. Um, this was a mistake. Uh, they shouldn't have been separated. Uh, this wasn't, you know, for an asylum seeker, this wasn't an appropriate thing. Uh, and, you know, come to find out over that period of time, we find out that there are dozens and, you know, maybe even a couple of hundred of these instances of parents being separated from their children at the southern border. Um, And so the lawsuit we originally filed on behalf of Ms. L, and I'm happy to say that ultimately she was released and and she and her daughter were reunited and and are in a shelter here in Chicago, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that ultimately... Uh, we expanded that suit. And then, um, you know, when the administration began this quote unquote zero tolerance program policy, which was that they were going to criminally prosecute anybody uh, who they determined had come over the border illegally. Uh, And when they began to do that, you know, when they when they got to the point that they were detaining people for criminal purposes um, and and that is usually you know you serve whatever time you've served at the point you do the criminal prosecution Um, the children were then separated and flown around the country and you know those numbers ultimately got up to about 3,000 and I I just want to stop and think about that Uh, just mention that for just a moment uh, for for you or for Tariq or any of your listeners, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have children, if you've ever been a child, and that includes most <laughs> of us, everybody. you know, right. um, or or even as an adult, you have that moment when you're in the grocery store and there's a child, you come around the corner and there's a child standing there alone who clearly is distraught because they've been separated from their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and usually that lasts a few moments and then the mother comes or the father shows up and all is well and everybody's happy and, and, and there's no issue that think about that over the course of several months and several days in the a place stars of separation. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, a, uh, an official with the office of refugee resettlement, Uh, testified a week ago before the Senate Judiciary Committee in Washington and said that they had warned the administration of the harm that would, the permanent damage that would be done to children and families by doing this. Uh, And the administration went ahead with the policy anyway. You know, there, and of course, there's been a lot of uh, talk about the intent behind it, uh, and that being one of, uh, to, to dissuade anybody from, even thinking about coming in 
especially if they're coming with children, you know, as parents, right? The most, the most precious thing we have is our children. Um, but I want to go back to this idea, first of all, in seeking asylum, having to establish credible fear, right? That test right there. Right. Could you talk a bit about that? Because there's also, there's also been this change or a change that uh, seems to be coming with regard to uh, asylum seekers' ability to even ask for, right, to declare, to ask for asylum. Right. So could we start with the first with yes. the credible fear? Yeah. So, um, you know, under U.S. law, yeah, mm-hmm. you can legally enter the United States to claim asylum. And I, I think it's really important because mm-hmm. you'll hear so much in, in, I think, some, you know, popular conservative media about the idea of, well, they're lawbreakers. Right. They've broken no law at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a credible fear test is is that you have to be able to explain to a Customs and Border Patrol agent why you are seeking asylum in the United States. And there's a series of categories that you have to meet um, Mm -hmm. under which, uh, you know, you can, in order to claim asylum, things that you have a, what's called a credible fear that you will be harmed or killed uh, if you were to return to your country of origin. And one of the issues that, that often comes up in that too is the question as to whether or not the government in the home in your home country is able capable or uh, willing uh, to stop um, the people who are threatening you or or would intervene in any way so one of the things that we've seen right now in central and southern america south america is you know this idea that there are um, both gangs and paramilitary units that are threatening people, um, you know, narco traffic gangs and et cetera, that are threatening people, and that those gangs are not something that the government is able to control. They often threaten people, try to bring them into the gang. If people don't want to be in the gang, um, you know, they can be they can be murdered, or a family member can be murdered, and that is causing people to leave those countries where they've lived, resided, had a home, had a family, had stability for years. Take this dangerous track uh, and come to the United States. So the first thing is, is that you have to be able to credibly explain that mm-hmm. to an officer and demonstrate that you have a fear that if you were to be returned to your country, that you'd be injured um, or harmed or murdered. There's an entire legal process that takes place after that in which you have to demonstrate uh, that you are a candidate for asylum. One of the things uh, that has oft been a part of this and, and uh, you know, even more so in recent years is, is that people, for example, women have come to the United States uh, because they've been victims of domestic violence and, uh, you know, up to and including being threatened with death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, General, uh, Attorney General Sessions has recently announced uh, that he is eliminating that as a reason that one can claim asylum in the United States. Wow. And and the actually in another piece of litigation, the ACLU just filed a lawsuit yesterday challenging the elimination of of that criteria. Um, You know, first of all, it's gender based uh, largely. And and, you know, it it, it raises other uh, both legal and constitutional issues. So, you know, that process of asylum is is often one, I think, as, as you really that was implicit in your question. Um, that's misunderstood in terms of that process that you have to go through just in the first pass and then in the pass, you know, afterwards. And I, and I should add quickly that, you know, for people who, um, anybody who's ever 
you know, seen or, or, or followed an asylum case, you know, there's a, there's a long period of time of collecting documents, of collecting yeah. testimonies, of collecting information about the country where uh, the person is fleeing from. Um, you know, it is a very difficult process. You know, we, we aren't, the United States is not granting asylum, um, you know, I, I just to use the colloquial term willy nilly to anybody. Right. Uh, it's a very difficult process. So the idea that somebody who enters the country uh, willing to go through that process, trying to save their children from perhaps uh, uh, death or, or violence mm-hmm. um, is then subjected to this horror and this this kind of torture uh, of being separated from their children is 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 I think really uh, a corrosive thing. And uh, one last thing I'll say um, is that you know that this idea that that somehow if we were just cruel enough, if we were just mean enough, mm-hmm. if we did something that was so unthinkable and unspeakable mm-hmm. um, that it really would betray all of our values as Americans. Yeah. That that would be the thing that would dissuade people from wanting to come here. It, it, it's just a, a, the kind of a notion that I can't imagine uh, that that most you know thinking Americans uh, really want to support. I, I I'm you know I, I was just saying to a colleague today, um, you know you, you and I were talking before we went on about the way in which the immigration debate in this country is shifting. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that's amazing is we put children in cages yeah. on the southern border mm-hmm. and separate, literally took them out of the arms of their mother and put them in cages. And we had a slight debate about whether or not that was okay. There were people who defended that what, position. What is wrong with the collective... Uh, consciousness, right? And by the way, in the discourse, what, it, right. what is going on? And by the way, the majority members of the House of Republicans mm-hmm. are that yeah the House the majority Republicans in the House of Representatives in Washington D.C. have never held a single hearing about this practice. Mm. Well, you know that that just speaks to the the lack of um, the lack of commitment uh, and resolve to go beyond partisanship, right? Uh, and I mean, and that's and that's pretty clear for anybody, uh, anybody with a conscience, you know, uh, can see that. Um, and and for you to mention, I just have to reiterate this for just for us to just to keep it out there once again. Particularly for those mothers, I, w- I won't even say just mothers, but particularly for those parents who have come here to save their children from being executed, from being maimed, from being from from all type of unspeakable uh, realities that are taking place. And they bring their children here only to suffer the, uh, the, the horror of being separated from their child here, uh, their children here. That in itself, it should be enough. And, and, and I'm glad to see that actually that there is an outpouring, that there are people who are they're saying, you know what, uh, I, may, I may see immigration differently, but I, I can't sign off. On this, I right. can't sign off on this. Right. So that's good to see that at least there's a line being drawn on the sand. But as it relates to uh, the progression of immigration policies uh, over administrations, right? And this immigration issue has been something that's been kind of just uh, kicked down the road uh, to, to a large degree, you know, from administration to administration. Uh, are, are there any comparisons that we can draw from the 
uh, immigration policy of the Obama administration to the uh, uh, to the Trump administration now uh, comparisons or contrast um, that, that you could point out yeah I think there's a I think there's a couple of things so first of all uh, um, let's talk about just just with regards to children because that that obviously is at the core of this right. discussion so one of the things that happened during the Obama administration is is that there was a few years ago you'll remember sort of an uptick and an influx for a time uh, of children um, unaccompanied minors yes. who came into the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, I think faced with that flood of, of unaccompanied minors, um, it can be said uh, that the Obama administration wasn't prepared for that and probably, uh, well, I shouldn't say probably, and didn't really have the facilities and the services available to deal with that with that influx of children. And there were issues that happened. You know, uh, kids were were detained for too long. Um, you know, some kids were ended up in courts. You know, again, not speaking the language at a very young age in immigration courts without a lawyer. Right. Um, you know, these kinds of things that that are just you know um, that I think none of us really were very happy with at the time. I think that the distinction here in this instance is um, that rather than the children showing up as unaccompanied minors, the Trump administration decided to make them unaccompanied by separating them from their parents. Right. Um, right. And, and, you know, we've always had unaccompanied minors uh, in the, you know, enter the country. It's always been a tough issue to deal with because, of course, of, of, of the nature of young children being in a complex legal system and needing to be held somewhere. These, are, these have always been challenging issues. But I think that's the uh, that's the distinction. I think the other thing that we can say, uh, and I, I think this goes without um, uh, without fear of any sort of contradiction, is the the uh, the Obama administration was very rigid in terms of deporting people. Uh, largely people who had been convicted of a crime, um, who had committed criminal acts in the past, uh, they were somewhat aggressive in terms of deporting uh, people in that instance. And, you know, I think they often defended that by suggesting that these were people who had been convicted of violent crimes, that the law, you know, that's who they were prioritizing were those sorts of people for, for deportation. Right. I think that what we've seen in the Trump administration uh, in terms of deportation policy is to literally just to find and deport anybody that you can get your hands on. And how that's manifested itself is, um, as you you know, as, as, as your listeners will know, uh, there are people who have been going through immigration proceedings for years, sometimes yeah. for 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they may have along the way gotten a final order of deportation, but then that's been stayed while, uh, you know, the courts have considered new evidence or some other claim or, you know, some other legal process as part of that. Um, and those people, by and large, uh, those individuals, by and large, have generally checked in with uh, immigration officials. They have, you know, they, 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 they've and reported they where they live. they are the easiest ones to come get, especially. And, and, and you know what? I have to mention this real quick for those who may, may or may not know. Uh, so this process, there's a fee that goes along with this. So and it could it can be uh, $500, I think, in some cases, or, or if that's just a standard flat rate. But there's a. There is a there. There's a receipt, right? There right. are cash registers ringing. Yes. Um, 
as people are kept on, on on this list and kind of pulled along year after year after year, especially those that are under uh, what is it a TP um, TPS uh, TPS yes. yes temporary protected status right so which is being withdrawn now as well yeah 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 and so you know you think about your you and 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 I love the way that you phrase that you know. So when the Trump administration came into office and they said, we're going to be tough and we're going to deport every eligible person, mm-hmm. what, they, what they essentially did was in the past administrations, you know, you can go back to the Reagan administration for this. Right. Um, there have been, there've been countless people who were eligible for deportation, but the administration uh, and successive administrations would make up priority lists of you know, we're only going to deport someone if they X. We're only going to deport someone if Y. What the Trump administration said, we're just going to deport everybody, anybody we can find. Right. And what that meant, as you said, was they ended up, they're, they're, they're ending up deporting the easiest people to find. Right. And I think what has been, you know, so remarkable in this process is, uh, you know, that you see, for example, um, you know, there's this story in southern Illinois of the the man who ran the local restaurant for 20 years uh, in a town that voted like 97 percent for Donald Trump. And nobody can understand. They, they're like, well, we were anti-immigrant, but not, you know, the guy not down him. at the not not him. That yeah. wasn't who we met. But but, you know, he's someone who had a final order of deportation against him. You know, the the wife of a of a of a decorated soldier recently was mm-hmm. deported. I mean, this is what's happening. Um, uh, under these kinds of policies, and it, as you say, it's simply because um, they're they're you know just taking everyone that they can find, and we really haven't seen that kind of arbitrary sort of uh, dragnet policy ever put in place before. Yeah, and, you know, and and it's really it's really cheap um, because there's very little real police work or investigative work that goes into this. It's not it's not uh, based on a position. Uh, of uh, public safety mm-hmm. because the folks that are in these programs, they are generally employed. They are law abiding. They are checking in as, as they're supposed to. Uh, and so to, to remove them, like I said, it, it becomes, it's not even arbitrary. There's something really sinister uh, about an action like that. And I think it is, um, well, it, it's hard to argue that the purpose of that isn't uh, to be as kind of capricious and to strike as much fear as possible. You know, I think one even gets the impression that the administration often engages in these policies, not because they think there's any real practical policy value in them, Mm -hmm. but just simply because they look tough and they look mean and they look as though this is, uh, we're being aggressive and really rounding up people. Right. Um, You know, I mean, you know, during the course of the family separation uh, issue, uh, you know, you had the president literally go out and say, well, you know, some of these kids could be MS-13, you know, this this gang that oh, he loves to pick on. I don't know how many three-year-olds are gang members. I, right. I just I'm not aware uh, of that. And, you know, what we've seen in that and, and part of I think what really is demonstrable of that is, of course, that we've now seen that, you know, th- this administration started separating families. And they never had a plan to put them back together. And you know what? I think that was probably all the more effective from a 
from a uh, standpoint of we want to cause the maximum amount of harm and discomfort and, and damage. And fear. Yes, and fear. Uh, and we'll just let things sort themselves out. Mm -hmm. And of course, of course, there, there will be uh, there will be some pushback. People will not be happy with it. But it's going to take us a certain amount of time, uh, and they're still working to figure uh, things out. But meanwhile, these children, these these parents, they are the ones who have to uh, to live with the uh, the this, uh, the traumatic, you know, uh, the distress of that. Um, let Let me ask you this, because we're looking at an administration that continues to be. I shouldn't say unpredictable. They're doing exactly the things that they right. said they would, right. they would do. That's fair. Right. But uh, they're also the type of administration that, I guess, that keeps you all busy, right? <laughs> so so what are, are there any particular um, actions uh, that are forthcoming uh, with regard to the current administration? Maybe some things that are not making as much uh, national uh, headlines right now, but things that we can expect to probably hit start and hit in a new cycle? I think so. Um, you, you know, let me just that the point you make about keeping busy and, and, and that, you know, it's I just a couple of things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the ACLU has been around for nearly 100 years. And, yeah. you know, during that nearly 100 year time, we've sued every president who sat in the Oval <laughs> Office. Um, we're 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 an equal opportunity litigator. Right. Um, but, you know, what's amazing is we sued Donald Trump 150 times in his first year in office. Wow. Uh, and, you know, that was something that was just, you know, heretofore just just unseen in terms of uh, in terms of that kind of uh, uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, it was, it was remarkable to me is on the family separation. So we we take the Ms. L case and turn it into a class action and we go in front of a judge in San Diego and the judge says that the government has to, to reunify these families. And he gives them two deadlines to do it. The first one for children under five and then on July 26th for all children. And they fail to meet the deadline. Yeah. There are still more than 500 kids that are separating. Mm -hmm. um, then we say, we continue to go into court and say, if they'll give us the information, you know, we can reach out to NGOs, to others, and start helping to find these kids, et cetera. And, you know, last Thursday, and, and I, you know, we go into the weekend and sometimes in the weekend, you know, it's busy in the summer and you miss things. There's this amazing story. The United States government, the United States Department of Justice, when the ACLU said, we'll help in terms of doing this, they actually filed a motion with this federal court in San Diego in which they said, you know, the ACLU should do it. Really? We'll just let them. They have the resources. We'll just let them do it. Never, you know, they were simply more than 500 children still separated. They were going to abandon Mm -hmm. their responsibility and just leave this to an NGO or, you know, uh, interest group like the ACLU to do. I mean, I, I think it, it's a demonstrable not just of the cruelty that we were talking before, but there's a level of incompetence in this. Absolutely. And those two things combined are really dangerous. Yeah. Um, so let me answer your question about other <laughs> kinds of things that, that I think there's two things. And, and you know, um, one of them has gotten a little bit of attention. Uh, one of them I mentioned previous. Mm -hmm. um, the previous one was I mentioned we just filed this suit yesterday having to do with uh, the issue of. Uh, oh, asylum, was, asylum. Yeah, and, right. and 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 not allow you know hoping to block the administration again from from squeezing people out of the asylum process um, clearly in an effort just to limit the number of people coming from asylum so I think I think that's one to watch yeah uh, the other one is and we're part of a broad civil rights group 
uh, our civil rights gr uh, groups that are that are uh, pursuing this. But as you know, the Commerce Department has added to the 2020 census this question about citizenship. Right. And, and so, you know, there uh, was just a comment period that ended yesterday where people could make comments to, 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 to be able to speak out on, on, on opposing that. But what we're also now seeing is, uh, you know, there's also litigation that the ACLU and other civil rights organizations are involved in uh, in an attempt to try to, uh, you know, get that question off of the census in order to encourage participation. Um, that's, I think, an important thing to watch. I think, I think that will merit watching as we go forward. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, is that, you know, we're going to see lots of litigation over the way that Customs and Border Patrol and ICE are behaving in our neighborhoods, in our communities, uh, and on the border. I think, I think whether it's seizing uh, people's property at the border or whether it has to do with the question of, um, you know, how they conduct these raids here in the, uh, uh, you know, in an area like Chicago, I think we're going to see a lot of attention around that. Mm. So are there any... Um, when it comes to coordination uh, between ACLU, Illinois, uh, and I imagine with such, because you got like what 1.5 million members or something like that. We have a we have a little over uh, two million members across the country. We have uh, more than 75,000 here in Illinois. I always tell this story when I left the office on election day in 2016 mm -hmm. we had a little fewer than 14,000 members and today we have about 75,000 members wow um so you know uh the trump administration may be bad for the country i guess they're good for business for us but <laughs> right. all in all i just as soon skip it i mean you yeah. know if if we didn't have to yeah okay well it it has been a pleasure talking to you the time's gone quickly yes it has <laughs> we appreciate you uh being here uh folks you can make you can keep up with the aclu um, at uh, ACLU slash Illinois, IL.org. Right. Right. ACLU dash IL dash ORG. Yeah, slash. Right. I'm sorry. Dash. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tariq. Uh, all right, Radio Sound family. That was Ed Yonka with the ACLU Illinois. Um, hope you enjoyed that conversation. You found it informative. And we're going to go ahead and say our goodbyes now. We want to thank our engineers over at WCEV. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig. Uh, he's a producer for this uh, segment. I'm your host, Tariq Alamin. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and are to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, good people, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.